Amen. Good morning, Crossroads. What a great time of celebration. Uh, I love that song we just sang. We want to welcome our Lexington campus. Would you give them a hand? Thanks for joining us. We're glad you're with us. Uh, we love you, our Shelby camp, as well as those listening online. You know, I love that song. It talks about being, that, that we have God's reckless love. And you know, for, for history, we've, we've been trying to put human words to God. How do you describe God? How do you describe what God does? And, and we try to put human words to that, but you just can't. And at times, you know, we use words like amazing and awesome, and, and reckless seems to be a bit crass for God, right? That his love is reckless. But think about it. The God of the universe came to earth, died on a cross for people that rebelled against him, then walked out of a grave. You want to talk about the reckless love of God. That's reckless. We don't love that way, do we? That's against the very nature of who we are. And so we celebrate that God's love is reckless. It's ridiculous what God did to awaken us, to bring us into a relationship with himself. You know, we're thankful for, for everyone here. Thank you for coming if you're new. Uh, by the way, we're excited about what God is doing in and through our church uh, uh, around this region. You know, our mission statement is that we want to be a church that leads people to the truth, that transforms lives in North Central Ohio and around the world. Uh, we believe that our job is to lead people to the truth, that God does the transforming, and we believe that God has called us to be a regional church to make impact throughout this region in Lexington, in Shelby, at our city center, where services are beginning to start. Start as we prepare the way to reach the underserved and underprivileged. And as we've been kind of going through this journey and seeing God work and growth happening, uh, it's also caused us to have to shift some things around. And so I want to share with you uh, a quick update of some of those shifts that are happening. Uh, one of them, as you know, Pastor Ron Biddle, who's been a longtime care and outreach pastor here at the Park Avenue campus, voluntarily said, hey, I want to go and be the campus pastor in Lexington. So Lexington, you should be giving Pastor Ron a hand for his faithfulness. He's a, an all-star guy, and I know he has a great heart for that community, and he's our campus pastor there in Lexington. And what that did was kind of leave some holes here at Park Avenue. And so uh, Pastor Doug Taylor, who's been our community's pastor, stepped into the role of, of Park Avenue campus pastor to help us to make sure that everybody's cared for, as well as continuing to oversee our community groups, as well as our new here and next steps. So his, his job has just been broadened to be able to take care of what's happening here at Park Avenue. And so as we journey through that that transition and Doug is doing an amazing job by the way it's hard to believe like four or five years ago we had like a handful of groups and now we have nearly a hundred groups that meet throughout the semester people that are engaging and doing life together serving together serving each other and so we're thankful for the groups and the multiplication that Pastor Doug has brought to us in our communities but as we journey through that yeah we should give him a hand as well just thank him as we journey through his transition, we said, hey, we need somebody, like community is our, our second core value, connected in community. So we can't just leave it be at a high level oversight. We need somebody who is intricately involved, fingers in the ground, helping us continue to expand and grow leaders. And by the way, if you're a, 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 in a group, if you're not in a group, that's one of the, the core values. We want, we believe that every person should be in a group. And if you want to be a group leader, we'd love to train you about how you can do that, teach you how to be a group leader. And so we realized there was a hole there. And so we went through a process to find someone who could help us be our new community's pastor under our Park Avenue campus, Pastor Doug. And we're pleased to introduce to you the Stanridge family. Would you welcome them here to the stage? I want to introduce you to them. This is Chris and his wife, Becky, and their three daughters, Finley, Sydney, and Reagan. And uh, as you can tell, they make him look really good. 
and uh, we're so thankful to have them. They come to us from Durango, Colorado, and uh, they moved here to be a part of what God is doing here at Crossroads, and as we walk through the process, we just, we connect it with Chris and, and his family's passion to reach people and disciple people and help us reach others through our community groups, and uh, he served there at a church called Grace Church as a lot of different positions, youth pastor, uh, assimilation, and as an associate pastor, did a lot of things there, and just God led him back. In fact, God led Chris back home. He's originally from Ashland, so he knows the area well. Um, but they moved from Durango, Colorado, here to Mansfield, Ohio, to be with us. And so we're just so thankful to have them. And I want to take a moment to pray for them. And uh, they're going to be out in the lobby after here at Park Avenue. And uh, Lexington, you'll get to meet them soon enough. But they're going to be out in the lobby. Introduce yourself to them. Let them know you welcome them to our family. We're thrilled to have them. I can tell you, just already by spending time with them, you are going to love this family. They have a, a great heart for Jesus Christ. Uh, they're, a, they're, they're people worth emulating. And so you want to get to know them. And they're going to help us continue to reach people through our groups and make sure that we're making disciples well. So would you bow with me and let's pray for the Stanridges. Um, God, we want to thank you for how you call us. And God, thank you for what you're doing here at our church. Got to think about our, our Lexington campus and Shelby campus and City Center campus and those that are connecting online and these different things that we're trying just to reach and, and lead people to the truth that transforms lives. God, we believe that we do that by, by being a church committed to glorifying you, but also a church connected in community and a church called to share. And so, God, we know this piece of our community groups is such an important part. It's foundational to who we are. God, you didn't make us to be Lone Ranger Christians. You, you made us to be in community together. And God, we are better as we serve together, as we rub shoulders together, as we encourage each other, as we challenge and lead and exhort through the scripture together. And so God, we thank you for leading Chris and Becky and Finley and Reagan and Sydney here to be with us, to help us accomplish those goals. And so God, we pray that you would bless them as a family. God, as they look for a home, as they look for and engage in school, God, we just pray that you would make the path straight. God, we are blessed to have them and we're gonna be blessed by, by Chris's leadership in our communities. Uh, God, I wanna pray for Grace Church in Durango. Lord, I know that there is a hole there this morning and God, I just pray that you would meet their needs, that you would provide for them, that this would be a moment where you lead them in the next season well, that they could be, continue to be a gospel-proclaiming place throughout that region, that region more people would come to know you through the ministry there in Durango. And God, we're grateful for how you lead. And where you lead, you enable. Where you call, you enable. And so God, we know that you've enabled Chris, you've given him great skills and abilities, and we look forward to the bounty of harvest that we're going to enjoy because of the faithfulness of these folks to come here and join us. So God bless them, be with them, thank you for them. In your name, the, the president, founder, and CEO of this church, your name, Jesus Christ, amen, amen. Would you give them a hand one more time and thank them. And again, stop in the lobby here at Park Avenue and connect with them afterwards. And Lexington, you'll see them soon enough. I want to mention, if you would take your Bibles out, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there is one of the seat back in front of you. If you turn with us to page 995, 2 Timothy chapter 2. As you turn there, I want to remind you we have coming up in March a trip to the Holy Land. I want to invite you. We still have some spots available. I want to invite you to join us on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Israel. 
uh, to see in person the biblical places. And so if you're here and you'd like to get more information about that, uh, you can stop by the information center both here and at Lexington, and we love to connect you uh, with that trip. We have some spots available still. i love for you to join me. It's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime trip. We're going to stay right in the heart of the biblical places. We have with us Dr. Charlie Dyer, who is a historian on biblical truth, and he's going to give us a, a tour on all these different places, give us, gives us insight into how it connects biblically. And so you are not going to want to miss that. Uh, we're looking forward to that trip come next March. And so we hope you'll sign up for that if you haven't. Uh, by the way, today is International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I do not find it any accident that today happens to be a day that we set aside to pray for the church around the world that is being persecuted. There are Christians around the world that are giving their life today because they believe in Jesus Christ. Here we sit in the comfort of freedom, and yet they're going to give their lives because they believe that Jesus walked out of a grave. And as we think about this day, I don't think there's any accident that we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2 today. So I'm going to ask you sometime throughout the day, would you just pause and pray for the persecuted churches, pause, and, and ask God just to work and spread his gospel as the church. You know, the seed of the death of the martyrs always grows the church. When people give their life for the gospel, it doesn't stop the gospel, it actually extends the gospel. And so it's an amazing thought to think, and so pray for the persecuted church around the world as you think about it today. As we look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're in this series called Legacy. Paul is writing his last letter to his protege, Timothy. And things are not going well in the city of Ephesus. And so he's writing to Timothy, and he says in chapter 1, Timothy, fan the flame. Fan the flame of the gift of God in you. He says at the end of chapter 1, do not be ashamed of the gospel. He, he says, guard the deposit of the gift of the gospel. The good news of Christ has been planted in you. Do not be ashamed, Timothy. Now when I think about this letter, I can't help but to think of an old expression. How many of you have ever heard the expression, throw in the towel? Anybody ever heard that, the expression of throw in the towel? You know where that, that expression comes from? It actually comes from boxing. Now, I like a lot of sports, and one of the hidden sports I really like to follow is boxing. I think it's, it's somewhat of an art to boxing, so I enjoy watching boxing, and I enjoy following along like who's doing well and not. And about 15, 16 years ago, I remember there was a show on ESPN. It was called The Contender, and what they did is they took boxers at lower levels, and they gave them an opportunity to have a, a title bout. And so the show was based upon these these men who were fighting each other, but they were kind of working up the ranks, and they followed them along and gave them opportunities to fight each other in three rounds, four rounds, five rounds, and six rounds, and I remember watching that. In fact, I was a young adult pastor in Washington, D.C. at the time, and I would gather a bunch of young adult guys, and we would watch The Contender on ESPN every Monday night. Well, my next-door neighbor was one of our young adult leaders, and his dad, as he turned 18, said, I want to give you a trip anywhere you want to go. Where would you like to go visit? And he decided that he would like to go to the contender finale in Los Angeles at the Staples Center, and he said, Dad, can I take Pastor Dave with me? This is awesome. I mean, it was just awesome. And so we flew out to L.A. to watch the contender finale, and we watched, it was about 10 different fights as we watched live. It was awesome to watch boxing live. You ever been to a live boxing match? It's pretty exciting. Well, there was one match particular where I kind of learned about this expression, throw in the towel. Uh, it was a lower-level boxer who was fighting against kind of a mid-level boxer, and they were, uh, they were in a fight, a five-round fight, 
And about the fourth round, this one fighter was just getting walloped. He was getting beat. The crowd was just cheering it on because you knew there was a knockout coming. He was just getting taken advantage of. But if you're a fighter, you don't give up. And so he was standing, he was, he was bouncing off the ropes, but he was standing strong. And there was one moment in the fourth round where the trainer in the corner, the cut man, the the one who's encouraging his fighter, he takes the towel and he throws it into the ring. And it created this awkward moment. Because the fighter whose trainer threw the towel in the ring paused and he kind of stood there like, what do I do now? The fighter who was winning pauses and says, does this mean I win? And so both boxers actually stop, like they're right in the middle of fighting, and they just stop because there's a towel laying in the middle of the floor, and the referee kind of stops and looks around and goes, fight over. The trainer throwing the towel was the indication that he believed his boxer was not going to win, and so they gave up. Can I tell you, we live in a world, we live in a country, we live in a culture where people throw in the towel too easily. We live in a culture where people throw in the towel without even thought. We live in a culture that gives up way too easily. We give up on marriages without fighting. We walk away from families. By the way, I saw an interesting statistic about marriage and family. I saw that 10 years ago, for every wife who left the family, there were 500 husbands who did. Today, for every man that leaves the family, there are two wives that leave the family. Think about that. It's flipped on its head. People just walk away. We walk away from jobs too early, right? We walk away from these things, and it can overflow into walking away even from our faith, even from the church, right? All of a sudden, what happens in our lives, there's a growing fatigue. We get tired. We feel like we're running too hard, and we just feel like throwing in the towel. For some, maybe there's fear that grips you and overwhelms you and holds you captive, and you feel like at times just throwing in the towel and quitting. For others, maybe it's not not fatigue, but it's frustration, right? You're frustrated at people. You're frustrated at your job. You're frustrated at home. You're frustrated in your situation, and you just feel like throwing in the towel. Maybe you're frustrated even at the church, and you feel like throwing in the towel. For some, maybe it's a fear of failure. You just continue to perpetually feel like you're failing. And you're just like, why am I going to keep going on? I'm going to throw on the towel. I remember a young man that I, at the church I pastored in Maryland, I had helped lead him to Christ and was able to baptize him. He actually was in prison for uh, a short stint and to see his life transform and him become a good father and husband. And I remember as he came into my office one day and he said, Pastor Dave, I'm just, I'm ready to give up. I can't go on. And I remember tears coming down his, street, his cheeks and he said, Dave, I, I think my life was easier without Christ because now I've got to think about if I'm going to obey or not. And it's the pressure on me. And I looked at him and said, no, 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 don't, do, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. And I remember as tears came down my cheek as I begged this brother that I, I actually played baseball with when I was younger. And I said, don't give in. Don't give up. Listen, you might not know it, but this season that's tough right now is leading to a greater season in the future where this will be worth it all. I promise you, if you stay true to it, it'll be worth it all. And he walked out of my office, he threw the towel, so to speak, and he walked out and walked away from the church and walked away from his faith and whatever that looks like. Can I tell you honestly, I I love statistics because statistics give us insight into living, gives us insight into our lives. I was reading a a recent statistic by Pine Tops Foundation, and they study Gallup polls and Pew polls, and they put them all together and kind of come up with 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 a conclusion, and this is what they concluded. They concluded that over the next 30 years, by 2050, 42 million people who are in the church today will walk away. 
42 million people over the next 30 years will walk away from their church and their faith. They will walk away. Now, you might say, wait a minute, Dave. They could just be walking away from the church but not their faith. But can I tell you, in the New Testament, there is not a category of person who is not a believer and not connected to a local church. So the idea of having faith without the church is faulty according to the New Testament. Because people that know Christ want to be with other people who know Christ, who want to be in the journey together. 42 million over the next 30 years will walk away from this thing we call the church and from faith. So the question I want to ask this morning is how do we live faithfully with gospel impact in a world that wants to throw the towel in? How do we live faithfully in a world where it's easy to give up? How do we live making impact for the cause of Christ in a world that just wants to throw in the towel? Well, we have an answer. The answer is found here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul is writing to his young protege, and what we find is Timothy is not fancy. Timothy is not a stained glass saint. Timothy is a struggling pastor. And so Paul, the apostle, was writing to his young protege and saying, Timothy, Listen, I'm going to finish my course well. This is my last letter. This is my last will and testaments to you. Don't give up. I'm going to finish well. I'm sitting in prison with a hole in the top that, that I get food through and air through and light through. And I'm going to endure to the end. Timothy, you can't give up. And he writes to him and he encourages this young pastor to not give up on what God has done in him, to guard the deposit of the gospel that's in him. Now, I want to pick it up. Second Timothy chapter, we're going to begin in chapter one because I think it's important for us to see. Last week you heard a great, great message about not being ashamed. That's chapter one. I want to show you the ending of chapter one that sets up chapter two. Notice verse 15. It says, you are aware that our, all who are in Asia have turned away from me. So this is Paul writing. He's in prison. He says, everybody's turned away from me. Among whom are Figulus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of uh, Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Now, I want you to notice he says, Timothy, there's people that have been walking away from me. There are people that have been giving up on me, on the church, on faith. People are walking away. Persecution has come. Things aren't easy anymore, and people are throwing in the towel. There's been an Anasiphorus who was faithful. He's been coming to me. He's been encouraging me. He's been exhorting me. I'm thankful for him. Praise God for him. But everybody else is walking away. Now notice chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child. So he points to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you then, my child. These people are walking away, but you don't. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. By the way, the word men there can be men or women. It's, it's faithful people who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering." Bound with change as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we're faithless, 
He will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I want to look at this text that gives us the answer as to how we endure in a world easy to give up. How do we endure when we feel like throwing in the towel? How do we make gospel impact for the next generations in the midst of a world that says throw in the towel? I'm going to look at four kind of sections of this text. We're going to look right at the text. It's going to walk right through the scripture. So if you're here, you're visiting, we actually walk right through the text. The points are going to come right from it. You're going to see it. Number one is this. Number one, the power of gospel impact. What it takes. What does it take to endure difficult? What does it, what does it take to endure frustration and failure and, and fatigue and fear? What does it take to endure those things? Now, I love this because where Paul begins with Timothy is not with the mission. Get this. He doesn't start the journey by saying, do this. He starts the journey not by mission, but by ability. How are you going to be able to do it? It reminds me of when my boys, my older two boys, were about 12 and 13, maybe 14. And they came to me and said, hey, Dad, we got a question for you. I said, yeah, what's up, boys? He said, Dad, we're just wondering... How do we get a six-pack? And they're talking about six-pack here, right? And I got to be honest. I immediately was like, I know why they're coming to me. I'm an expert on this. Like, boys, you don't get a body like this by playing video games all day. By the way, that's my line. Whenever I work out, we have an elliptical in kind of a weight room. Whenever I work out, I walk back up in dripping sweat, and I look at my boys and say, boys, you don't get a body like this by playing video games all day. You don't get a body like this by sitting down watching TV all day. And then I've convinced them the dad bod is in. Like the dad bod is the hot thing now. And so this is what I've gone for. This is part of the deal. Now they ask me, how do I get a six-pack? What they were hoping I'd say is, well, you do this thing and do this thing, and you get a six-pack. But then I described them, you've got to do crunches, you've got to do sit-ups, you've got to do pull-ups with crunches. Like, you've got to do all these things that I don't want to do to be able to have a six-pack. And I said, why would you even want to have a six-pack? What does it matter? Like, wh- I mean, what is the goal of this? Now, what's interesting is we, we always want to know the mission, but how are we going to do it? How are we going to get there? Well, Paul starts with that. And so I read this and I think about that. He says, look, at, look what he says, verse 1, you then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How are we going to have the power to make impact in a world that's ready to give up? It's going to come from the ability that is given by God. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't say, pull up your bootstraps and go. In fact, he doesn't say that we do anything. In fact, the word strengthen here is in the passive form. This is important. Why is it in the passive form? It's because we can't build the strength for ourselves. We can't manufacture the strength. We need the strength to be given to us in order to live faithfully in this world. In order to make gospel impact, I can't do that. I gotta have the strength given to me. And so it's passive active. What does that mean? It's passive and yet it's continual. It's continual. I need the strength today. I need the strength. By the way, it's no accident that this passive word strength is connected to grace. Why? Because grace is, is passive, isn't it? Like if grace is grace, you can't earn it. If grace is grace, you can't deserve it. If grace is grace, grace literally means unmerited favor. Grace literally means that I'm getting what I do not deserve, what I cannot gain. And so if it's something I cannot gain or deserve, then grace, by definition, has to be given to me. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. 
What size grace did God give to you? What power of grace did God bring to you to take you from being an enemy of God, dead in sins, headed to hell, and bring you into a right relationship with himself? How strong was grace to do that? Right, I think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace we are saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Right, you and I cannot take credit for our salvation. How strong is grace that it can take the scales of death off of our eyes and bring us into a relationship where we can see clearly? How strong is grace? Now think about this. We live in a world that says throw in the towel. How strong is grace then to empower us to not throw in the towel when it's in our hand? How strong is grace to allow us to continue to endure as it's transformed us from death to life and now continues to transform us in endurance? See, this grace is a dependent responsibility. It is, God, I need you to give it to me, and now I respond in obedience. By the way, grace is actually going to, this grace that strengthens is going to be the charge of everything in this chapter. Everything we read in this chapter is going to be based upon grace that strengthens us. So what does this mean? If you find yourself in a desert place, if you find yourself fatigued, perpetual failing, overwhelmed with fear, you, you find yourself in a place where you're frustrated, you're a candidate for grace. I mean, that's what it's telling us, right? It is in our weakest moments where grace is needed that we get grace that strengthens us to keep going on. That's the point. By the way, I love Hebrews 11. It's my favorite chapter in all the Bible. And what it is is a, a list of all the faithful people in the Old Testament. But there's a verse that says this in Hebrews 11. It says, and they, each of them, were made strong out of weakness, they weren't great characters because of their power. They were great characters because they were weak and they wanted to throw in the towel. And God says, no, 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 wayward child, come back. No, 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 fatigue one, come, discourage one. I've got you. You feel betrayed. I'm with you. You're suffering. I'm going to give you endurance. It is a faithfulness of Christ's grace that allows us to be strengthened. Where do you need to be strengthened? Think about grace. This leads to number two, the plan for gospel impact. So now we have the, the ability, now what do we do? There's a plan. What is it? What is it? What, what is it that God is calling us to do? What it is in the sense of the plan of God? Take a look at what he says in verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you've got this strength now in grace, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful people. For Timothy, it would be more likely to be men. For women, it would be women, right? And trust the faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Now think about this. What is Paul actually saying? Paul is saying, Timothy, what you've now heard from me, I want you to give to other people who will then give to other people. This is the process. This is the plan. In fact, I love the word entrust here. Notice the word entrust. The word entrust is the word commitment. Remember Jesus on the cross? One of the prayers of Jesus on the cross is he says, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. That's the word. Same word that's here. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. We are committing to what's been given to us to go out of us to somebody else. We are committing to carry on the legacy through someone else. Now, this is not in our nature, is it? Our nature is not to share. Our nature is to take the things we're given and grip them tightly. I think about... I remember back when our, our boys were younger, uh, we always buy a family gift at Christmas. And I remember one Christmas we bought as a family the Nintendo Wii. Remember when they came out, they were kind of cool. 
we bought the Nintendo Wii. And so we gave it to all the boys and they're ripping it up all together. And as they're ripping it open, my one son sees the box and this is what he proclaims after opening the gift. He says, mom and dad, but there's only one controller. What an odd response to a gift that's for the family. What was he saying? He in his little selfish mind was saying, we only have one controller, I don't wanna share this. Now what he didn't know is we, we're pretty smart parents, we understood that game, and so we had bought other controllers, but we didn't want them to open the controllers before opening the game. But in his mind, in his selfish little demonic mind, <laughs> but there's only one controller. By the way, today, this is true, whenever one of our boys is acting selfish, guess what we say? But there's only one controller. It's our saying now. But there's only one controller. And it's the idea of just hold on. Everything's going to be okay. By nature, we're selfish. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you've got to share what's been entrusted to you. What is, what is Paul really talking about? He's actually giving the Great Commission. He's reminding Timothy of Jesus' plan of how the gospel goes forward. By the way, recent poll 2019 poll found that 51% of churchgoers don't know the Great Commission. That shocked me. Jesus gave his last words. It's called the Great Commission, not the Great Omission, not the Great Option, not the Great Suggestion. It's called the Great Commission. And yet 51% of churchgoers don't even know what it is. This is Jesus' words. He says, go therefore, and make Matthew 28, 19, go therefore... By the way, the word there literally means as you're going. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the verb. There's only one verb in this text. It's make disciples. The others are participles. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Paul is reminding Timothy of the Great Commission. Go make disciples. As you're going along, find the people that do not know Christ. Bring them into relationship with Jesus Christ. Let them know the truth that transforms them and then teach them how to live this out so that they may then lead others also. This is what Paul's getting at. It is the great commission life. So what does it look like? He's saying, Paul, I'm gonna share with you Timothy. Timothy, I'm expecting you to share with others who will then share with others also. This is the pattern. Paul, Timothy, others, others. We're to have someone in our life we're reaching, someone in our life we're discipling. Someone, discipleship literally is to be a learner, to be a follower. We're teaching them what it looks like to reflect and live the gospel. It's that simple. We, we make it way more complicated than it is. It is, here's what it looks like to live and expand the gospel. And they go out and do the same thing. Now, I want you to think about this. I want to put this in perspective for us today. We are sitting here today because Timothy obeyed what Paul said to him. We are sitting here today because Timothy followed the pattern. It's been multiplied through the ages. And yet today, in our culture, only 19% of those who claim to be Christian will actually share their faith. Only 19%. Listen, folks, you want to know why our, our culture is corrupt? You want to know why Christianity is going backwards, not forwards? If only 19% of those who profess Jesus actually share Jesus, then it's no wonder we're in the world that we're in. Think about it. 19% of people share Jesus. So here's the point. If I look at it as addition, if I were to reach a thousand people every day, a thousand people every single day, in a year, that would be 365,000 people, wouldn't it? I'm not a math whiz, but I, that's pretty easy. 
365,000. Do you know how long it would take me to reach the world? It would take me 19,178 years to reach the 7 billion people on the planet today. If I reached 1,000 people a day, it would take me 19,000 years to reach the world. But you know what happens? If I do it the way Paul describes it, the way Jesus commanded, if I were to, in my lifetime, not every week, not every day, in my lifetime, take two people, and I were to reach them, and I were to teach them what it means to follow Jesus Christ, if I were to show them and model it for them. If I took two people, year one, and then I taught them to take two more people, year two, we got four, plus me. In year three, we've got eight. In year four, we've got 16 plus those who've done it. Do you know how long it would take to reach the entire world? It would actually take 32 years to reach more than 8.5 billion people, which we don't even have on the earth yet. If all of us took two people and said, I want to share the gospel with you, I want you to know. And we know that everybody that we share with is going to come to know Jesus, but there's somebody that will. And if we took that one person and shared the gospel with them and showed them what it means to then share the gospel, what happens, all of a sudden, multiplication takes place and it transforms our world. Imagine what happens to our community if we saw it this way. By the way, a little side note, even our secular world gets this concept. You ever seen the movies? Luke Skywalker had a Yoda. Think about it. Frodo had Gandalf. Daniel's son had Miyagi. Rocky had Mickey. Right? Even our secular world gets the idea of having someone come alongside to show what it looks like to live, what it looks like to have the virtue of living this life out, having someone in your life to take you where you need to be. Even our secular world gets that. He says, Timothy, entrust it to somebody. Give it to somebody else. Don't keep it for yourself. And then let them tell others also. That leads to the third uh, picture of this, the picture of gospel impact, what it looks like. The picture. What, what Paul does is give a picture of how this looks. Notice what he says next, verse 3. He says, okay, now that you know, you got the strength, now you know the mission, now he says, here's the picture of it. Here's how, how it's done, what it looks like. Here's the model. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So he says, here's an illustration. Suffer then as a good soldier in Christ. This is the first illustration, is a soldier. A soldier is willing to suffer because they are keenly aware that they're in battle. They are keenly aware that they're in war. Now, I'm not a soldier. I've never served in the military, but I know many of you have. We're so grateful for the freedom that you've bought for us that we get to enjoy today. Many of you have served in different wars and different campaigns and different capacities. Thank you for your faithfulness that we get to enjoy today. We're appreciative of you. You know full well that when you signed up, suffering was a part of it, wasn't it? You went through something called boot camp, where you suffered. You then were given a task under a commander where you probably had to suffer a little bit, right? And then maybe some of you were called to war where you knew suffering, right? When you're in a foxhole and the enemy pops out and starts shooting at you, you don't look at them and go, are, are we fighting? Uh, I mean, what, did I say something wrong? No, when you're in a foxhole and they pop up, what do you do? You shoot back. You know. You know keenly aware that you are in battle. You don't need someone to convince you of that. What's what Paul is saying to Timothy? Timothy, share in suffering. Yes, suffering for the gospel. Why? Because you're in a war as a soldier of Jesus Christ. In fact, I love what he says in verse 4. He says, no soldier gets entangled 
in civilian pursuits. The word entangled here is the Greek word empleco, and it means literally the, the braid the hair. He says, soldiers don't braid their lives with civilian things. They don't get entangled with civilian things. They're in a war. They know they're in a war. Now, I want you to think about this. How often do we braid our lives and tangle ourselves with things that don't matter? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the things that we get involved with, right? Because I think we can see them as mission, right? Our kids' sports team can be a mission. Uh, our, our neighborhoods can be a mission. Our workplaces can be a mission. By the way, God talks about all these things. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All of these things have a sacred place when we understand them. But if we're just mean, we're doing it because we want our kids to get scholarships, or we're just doing it because we want to have a better home, or we want a better job, we want more money, right? if we're just doing it for that reason, then we're, we're entangled in civilian pursuits, not in what really matters. That's the point. Am I doing what I do for myself, or am I seeing the mission, the war that I'm in, and I want to live it? I want to go after it. I want to reflect it. I was thinking about this as a church for a moment. I had the privilege a few weeks ago to be in Colorado Springs where I was able to share at a conference about what God is doing here at Crossroads. Talking about our campuses and city center and all the things that God is doing and at Lexington and Shelby. And, uh, and so I was able to share a little a bit about it. It was awesome to go there and just kind of brag on our church a little bit. And I was there, and one of the things I love is to be able to connect with other pastors and so after I connect with other pastors, I look them up online to see what, what their church is like. And I was blown away by one website. They had a video at the, the front website. By the way, the websites are like the front door of the church, right? And so we want to have good websites, and we try to make sure that's really good and, and engaging. But this is what it said in their video. I want to I kind of read you what the script said. It says, welcome to whatever the name of the church. What you'll find here is an amazing place. We have a casual atmosphere. We have welcoming people. We have a high-impact presentation, a message that is relevant for your life, amazing children's space, a Starbucks-esque cafe, free Wi-Fi, and you're going to know if you come here that you matter to God. Now, nothing wrong with that, but as I read it, I thought about this message, and then I thought about Crossroads. That could actually be our opening page, couldn't it? You come in, there's a welcoming atmosphere, there's welcoming people, people have a smile on their face. You go into a Starbucks-esque cafe. We have free Wi-Fi for you. Some of you just found that out. You're going to get on right now. We have free Wi-Fi. Right, those things are true. Nothing wrong with those things. But what I want to do, I, I then compared it. I said, I'm going to look up what the SEAL code is. If you're on a SEAL team, Navy SEALs, what are those code? Uh, Navy SEALs obviously are the elite. They embrace warrior values and a tradition of never leaving a man behind. But I want to read you the end of the creed that they say when they're commissioned as a Navy SEAL. And I want you to think about the difference. This is the end. It says, I will never quit. I persevere and thrive on adversity. My nation expects me to be physically harder and mentally stronger than my enemies. If knocked down, I will get back up every time. I will draw on every remaining ounce of strength to protect my teammates to accomplish our mission. I'm never out of the fight. We demand discipline and we expect innovation. The lives of my teammates and the success of our mission depend on me. My technical skills, tactical proficiency, and attention to detail. My training is never complete. We train for war and we fight to win. I stand ready to bring the full spectrum of combat power to bear in order to achieve my mission and the goals established by my country. 
The execution of my duties will be swift and violent when required, and yet guided by the very principles that I serve to defend. Brave men have fought and died building the proud tradition and fear reputation that I am now bound to uphold. In the worst of conditions, the legacy of my teammates steadies me and my resolve and silently guides me every deed. And in the last words of their creed, I will not fail. I think we've got to change our mission statement. Right? I mean, we live in a culture, throw in the towel, give up, quit. And yet the Navy SEALs, this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, you're a soldier. You're fighting. You don't throw in the towel. You know you're in a war. You keep going. You don't quit. You fight through the diversity. Christians will not fail. He then uses a second illustration, which is an athlete. Same type of thing. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I love sports. I think sports are kind of true to life. Sports teaches us two things, right? First of all, we learn the lesson there is right and wrong. In a culture that's running away from right and wrong, sports reminds us, right? You, you ever have a t-ball team where the kids run toward third base? You don't let them do it. You say, no, you got to go to first base. It's a rule. You ever have the call made by the referee and you're like, they need to go to replay. We like rules when it comes to sports. Secondly, sports teaches us there are winners and losers, now, i got to confess that's changing in our culture today because now we give out participation medals for everything. Oh, you, you finished last participation medal. But in real life, there are winners and losers. In, in spiritual life, there are winners and losers. There are those who know Christ, who enter into glory of heaven, and there are losers. The Bible speaks of this, that enter into hell. They don't have to. By, by their choice of rejection of Jesus Christ, they enter, right? So we know this. We know this. There are winners and losers. So here's what he's saying. Listen, if you're in the battle, if you're in the fight, if you're in the game, you understand that you have to compete according to the rules, that there are no participation matters. And that means you have to discipline. You have to keep going when everybody wants to quit. That means you've got to follow the rule book, the rule book of the Bible that says be faithful to witness, pray, live by God's word, live with integrity. These things are written for us so that we may know how to live for Christ. It is our rule book as an athlete. And then lastly, notice the illustration of a farmer. Verse 6. It is a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. I want you to think about a farmer for a second. I'm not a farmer. I've been around farmers. We have many great farmers in our church. We have, we have farmers that have uh, hundreds and hundreds of cattle. We have far farmers that have thousands of pigs. We have farmers that have acres and acres and thousands of acres of land. And I've met a lot of farmers and can I tell you, I've met farmers that are crusty and mean, not in our church, by the way, none of them are in our church, but previous opportunities. I, I've, met, I've met farmers that are hard and hard-hearted, but can I tell you what I've never met? I've never met a lazy farmer. Never met a lazy farmer. Never met a farmer that's saying, ah, I'm just going to let the crops go. No, they're hardworking. That's what Paul's getting at. Listen, a farmer sows and plants and plows and inspects not for the applause of fans or superiors above them, but knowing there's crop yet to come. They work a long time without any visible results, knowing the setbacks and challenges that arrive, believing that that crop, that seed is going to grow. Think about that. In fact, that's what Paul says, verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. I love this. He says, Ponder that truth. Ponder the reality that you're a soldier. You're an athlete. You're a farmer. Farmers don't throw on the towel and say, forget the crop. If they do that, they don't eat. Uh, athletes don't throw on the towel and say, well, forget that. Uh, 
okay, maybe, maybe we do now because they make millions of dollars and throw in the towel. And, but but they, they have to discipline. They work out constantly. They practice constantly. Like ESPN doesn't show practices, do they? And so on Monday morning when we're talking about the Browns and saying, how could they make that pass play? What you don't know is they practiced that. They just failed at it. That came out bad. I didn't mean it bad. It, it's bad, but it's true. I mean, it's truth. I mean, they got a soldier. A soldier doesn't throw on the towel in the middle of war. No, because the enemy's right there going to take him out. This is the picture. He's saying, listen, think on these things. You're in a war. You're in a game. You're on a farm. How are you living? And then he ends. This passage actually has two sections. The first section is, this is what it looks like. The second section is the point of gospel impact. This is number four, the point of gospel impact. What does it do? I want you to notice how it ends. Verse eight. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. What is interesting about a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer is they're constantly thinking differently than everybody else. What makes an athlete supreme is they have a different mindset. What makes a soldier successful is they think differently. What makes a farmer succeed is they know how these crops are meant to grow, so they believe the process will work. He says, if you're going to be successful, what's the point of this? If you're going to endure, if you're not going to throw on the towel, he says, remember Jesus Christ. Set your mind on what Christ has done. Notice he doesn't say, though, Christ the lover of your souls. Nothing wrong with that. It's true. He doesn't say Christ the compassionate one. Notice he doesn't just give us some ideology or wishful thinking. He says, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David. You know what that means? He is on the throne of David. That means when my tank is empty, that, that means when I want to give up, I want to throw in the towel, I need to remember that the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied. The tomb is empty and the throne is occupied. I need to remember these things. Remember Christ's work, but I also remember Christ's word. Notice what he says next. Verse 9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God isn't bound. And I feel bound in chains. I feel surrounded. I feel like there's no escape. The word of God isn't bound. Therefore, Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, for those who have not yet heard, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I continue. I go after this. Why? Because God's word isn't bound. I might be chained. I might lose my job. But guess what? The word of God isn't bound. It can't be stopped. It is a force that continues. The hero of the gospel keeps his word. Can I tell you, I believe at the end of the day, our mission as a church is useful only as it's bound to Christ's mission. The way we're successful to realize Christ is going to accomplish his mission, so why don't we join him? Why don't we take what he has accomplished and make it known? We're not accomplishing anything. All we're doing is making known what he's already accomplished through his death, through his resurrection, through the fact that he's risen and he's on the throne. This passage then ends with a little refrain, a creed. No one knows where this comes from, actually. Some believe it was, it was a responsive reading, um, but it's a creed. I want you to notice the pronoun switch from you, Timothy, to we. Some believe it was a kind of response. I want to read this together. It says, the saying is trustworthy. Verse 11. For if we've died with him, we're going to live with him. If we endure, we're also going to reign with him. But if we deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, he still remains faithful. 
for he cannot deny himself. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, a soldier knows there's a victory coming. The athlete knows in the game that there's a crown awaiting. The farmer knows that the seed that they've worked so hard to put in the ground will eventually sprout. And so he says, Timothy, if you die with Christ, you're going to live with him. If you endure for Christ, you're going to reign with him. It's going to be worth it. If you deny him, if you throw in the towel, he'll deny you. He says, if, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. Listen, some of you here, Lexington this morning, maybe you have the towel in your hand and you're ready to throw it in. Maybe fatigue is overwhelming you. Maybe frustration has grown up in you. Maybe fear has surrounded you. Maybe failure is just showing itself consistently in your life. And you got the towel in the hand and you're ready to throw it in. Paul is saying, Timothy, don't give up. You're a soldier. You're, a, you're an athlete. You're a farmer. Don't give up. Remember the mission. The mission is to pass this on. And so you got to drop the towel and start telling somebody about your life, telling somebody how to endure, telling somebody what Christ has done for you. Maybe you have the towel in your hand. Some of you this morning, you'll say, Dave, you don't understand. I, I can't succeed. I'm not good enough. I don't know how to say these things. I don't know how to do these things. Can I just say something very quickly? I believe God. I believe God, very simply, is more pleased with obedience than he is success. I want you to think about that because we are all about success in our culture. I believe God is more pleased with obedience than whether we're going to be successful at it or not. Just do it. Endure. Drop the towel and keep going. We might not do it right. We may mess it up. But, but he's more pleased with obedience than just mere success. As we end this morning, I want to do something a little bit differently. Our team is going to come up here, and Lexi and the team is going to come up there, and we're going to, we're going to listen to this song. I'm going to pray in a moment. We're just going to have eyes bowed and heads, uh, eyes closed and heads bowed, and just kind of focus for a moment. And here's what I want to do. As we listen to this song, this song is from the perspective of God. It says, come to me. That God is standing with open arms saying, listen, I'm here for you. I will not deny myself. And this morning, as we listen to this song, maybe here and in Lexington, and you just want to stand up as a declaration. Maybe the towel's in your hand, and you want to stand up and say, you know what, I'm not quitting. I'm not quitting on my marriage. I'm not quitting on my kids. I'm not quitting on my job. I'm not quitting. I'm going to realize my purpose. I'm not going to quit on the mission. And you just, as a declaration, want to stand where you are. Lexington, stand where you are as a declaration. No one's going to look around. We're not going to embarrass you. It's just a declaration. Maybe you're here. Maybe you have a heart for a person that God has put on, your, put on your mind to say, you know what, you need to go share the gospel with them. You need to share the gospel with them. You need to, you need to go to them and share the truth of Jesus Christ. We're going to listen to this song. And if you just stand, it's a declaration to say, you know what, we want to endure. The towel's down. I'm going to do my mission. I will fight the fight. God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your word. I need this reminder. God, so often I feel overwhelmed and fatigued. I feel over, overburdened and fear. Lord, I feel the weight of frustration. And Lord, ultimately, Lord, it leaves me just wondering where to go, what to do. God, we are called not to quit, not to give up in a culture that just throws the towel in, that says forget the church, forget the people, forget my, even my faith and just go live my life. And God, while it may be easier for a season, it will not last because if we deny you, you'll deny us. God, following you is worth it. We may not see it in this season, but in the next season, Lord, there is a victory waiting. There is a crown waiting. There is a crop forming. 
And so God, may we not give up. May we, like Paul said to Timothy, be strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ. May we see our mission to go pass it on to somebody else. May we not fear that. Even if it costs us our life, it's worth it. God, may we realize we're a soldier, we're an athlete, we're a farmer, and that we can set our mind on you. Lord, that you died, yes, but you walked out of a grave. You died, yes, but you're seated on a throne today, and you do not deny yourself. You keep your word. So work in us. Oh, God, work in us. Jesus, our King, our Savior, have your way. In your name, Jesus. Amen. As you feel that as you hear this song, just stand up. No one looking around. This is a declaration of faithfulness. God, we thank you that we who are weary and fatigued and frustrated, God, your arms are open. God, you're not up there with closed arms and fists out or, or crossed arms, but God, your arms are open like the prodigal, the wayward, the fatigued, the tired, the frustrated. Lord, you're there welcoming us to come to you. And God, you give us strength that it is only found in your grace by your faithfulness. God, you will not deny your word, but you will accomplish what you plan to accomplish in the spread of the gospel. And so God, may we reflect that truth. May we leave with our heads held high, knowing what you've done for us is not by our doing, not by our ability, but because of you. May we leave encouraged. Because God, even if we die, yet we live. Even if we, if we endure, God, there is reigning coming. God, even if we're faithless, you remain faithful. You do not deny yourself. So God, may we go in that encouragement. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your working in our lives. May we endure well in a world giving up. May we be faithful. In your name, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here this morning. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. I want to encourage you. There's some people out there that have been praying for you. We love to show you. Not hope so, maybe so, think so, but how you can know for certain that Jesus can have a, you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He can save your soul. We have some people at Next Steps that love to talk to you. You're new here. Stop by our New Year kiosk. We love to connect with you. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you this week in a community group. God bless you all.